life as stewardship. It changes everything. But that's exactly when God created man in the garden. Right away, he entrusted us with the stewardship. This is what makes us different. No other creature that was created was given a stewardship over God's creation. I think it's important for us because we have dominion over the birds of the air and the beasts of the field and over the created order. We are not supposed to exploit it. Have you ever borrowed an item from a friend or rented a car? You treat it a lot better than you treat your own stuff, don't you? It's because you know that the item you borrowed doesn't belong to you, and because you'll have to give an accounting for the condition you return it in. As Pastor Daniel will teach today, we should be treating God's creation, including ourselves, differently than we might be doing now. That's something to think about. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 1 as he continues his message, Creation, Part 2. And then he creates man. And this is where it starts getting really interesting, I think. Because all of a sudden you get this, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Fascinating. It's kind of a strange thing that God would say, let us make man in our image. It's kind of like, you know, God is pulling like an NFL wide receiver speaking about himself in the third person a little bit. I mean, have you ever said that? Like you're going to make dinner? Let us make spaghetti and meatballs. It's a strange thing to say, right? And what's fascinating is that Hebrew scholars rabbinical scholars, and then, of course, Christian scholars have been debating this for thousands of years now. What does it mean, let us make man in our image? The plural is used here. Now, as Christians, of course, we would say, well, this is a discussion amongst the three persons of the one Godhead. The three persons of the Trinity discussing the creation of mankind. And I think that absolutely, if you look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you find one God in three persons. The triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's a very solid way to interpret it. People argue about it. They say things like, well, this is God speaking in the plurality of his majesty. Some people say this is God speaking to some of the creating angels. I mean, there's been so many different theories. But it's fascinating that all of a sudden God starts speaking in the plural about himself. And I think the biblical doctrine of the Trinity is, it makes it very, very neat, doesn't it? We're not trying to make it that. It's just God revealed himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we can hold on to that right there. Now, it's fascinating that it says, let us create man in our image and our likeness. This makes humanity the crowning jewel of God's creation. That when it came time to make mankind, humanity, the only part of creation that God said, I'm going to do something special. I'm going to make man after my own image and according to my own likeness. 
Now, what does it mean? I think in a simple way, some people would say it this way, that God is triune, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God has made man a type of inferior trinity, spirit, soul, and body. Now, of course, there's all sorts of this. For those of you who go to Bible college and stuff, there's all sorts of debates on if we can really say that we have three components to us, we're really just spirited bodies, and that's what the kind of stuff you get in school. The reality is this, is that God created humanity in a similar way than he sees himself, with the ability and the freedom to make decisions. And I think this is what makes humanity unique, is that a dog is a dog by nature. Humanity has the opportunity to make decisions that actually go against our created nature. There's a freedom involved. And not only that, right away he starts saying that he's going to give man dominion over everything. And this is another way that God has created humanity in his likeness. He gave us a stewardship. Now, of course, the problem with when God gives mankind dominion is that oftentimes mankind thinks that when I have authority over something, I can do whatever I want with it. I mean, isn't that the way people look at their lives? It's my life, I'll do what I want with it. But the reality is, is our lives are a stewardship that has been bestowed upon us. Every human being, your life is not your own. You are going to be held accountable, and I'm going to be held accountable for what I do with this life. See, we did not create the air we breathe. We did not create the heart that beats. We did not create the food that we're going to eat. We did not create the giftings that we have. Those were bestowed as a gift. And God holds all of humanity accountable for the way we steward our lives and the way we steward God's creation. In a lot of ways, just as Pharaoh was the king and the ruler of Egypt, he gave Joseph a stewardship over his kingdom. And we know from the scriptures that Joseph did a pretty great job in that stewardship, didn't he? See, our lives and every gifting that we have is a gift that is really God's, and he gives us a stewardship over them. And that's why I think it's unfortunate when you start talking about this reality that God gave us dominion over his created order, and we have things like depleting ozone layers. It's unfortunate. I think the Christian church should be at the forefront of the environmentalist movement, not because we worship creation, but because we know that creation's God's, and he gives us a stewardship over them, and he holds us accountable for our stewardship. Isn't every sin that we could commit, isn't it a stewardship problem? God has given me this body, and I have done something with this body that is against God's purposes. That's what makes it a sin. When you think about life as stewardship, it changes everything. But that's exactly when God created man in the garden. Right away, he entrusted us with a stewardship. This is what makes us different. No other creature that was created was given a stewardship over God's creation. I think it's important for us because we have dominion over the birds of the air and the beasts of the field and over the created order. We are not supposed to exploit it. That's bad stewardship. You say, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about creation? And some of you are saying, oh, I knew we'd get some of that weird Bay Area theology. 
But the Bible teaches, like Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Look at Romans 1. It says that God's invisible attributes, his power and his godhoodness are clearly seen in creation. See, creation has a general revelation of who God is. And so even though it's not the specific revelation that we get in the scriptures, it is still the way that God has chosen to reveal himself to humanity. If you don't believe me, go read Psalm 19 when you get home. That God reveals himself in a general way in creation. He reveals himself specifically in his word. And the key is that he wants to reveal himself personally to all people. In Psalm 8, you have the psalmist. He's looking at creation. He's thinking, what am I that you are mindful of me, Lord? He's looking at the stars and he's seeing how vast all of creation is. And he's thinking to himself, God is huge and he's concerned about me. So we want to retain God's own general revelation. And God has given humanity a stewardship over it. So it's fascinating that God has created us in his image. He's given us a dominion. And it's fascinating that God has created mankind in plurality. Notice what it says in verse 27. God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Fascinating. Just as God is one in plurality, mankind or humankind is also created in plurality. Now, I don't really feel the need to give you guys a biology lesson about boys and girls and the birds and the bees. But the reality is this, is that God created humankind male and female. And I don't know about you guys, I'm excited about that. You wait, wait till we get to Genesis chapter 2. I'll just give you a little sneak preview. When God created Eve, Adam said, whoa, man! He was stoked, man. I mean, after Adam went, looked at every single animal, the beginning of science, I'm getting ahead of myself. The beginning of science, every animal's coming up and Adam's naming them. Science. Oh yeah, you're a cougar. Cool. You're a bear. Oh, look at you, little gecko. You know? But in every one, he didn't find a helper comparable, a good helpmate. And then all of a sudden, Adam needed to realize that. And then God created Eve. And Adam was just like, whoa, man, who's that? That's kind of awesome, isn't it? I think we should be excited about this. (laughs) Why are you guys laughing? I don't get it. (laughs) It's amazing, though, that just as God, one God in three persons, God created humanity also in plurality. Male and female, complementary, not so that one would be oppressed and one would have authority. And we're going to get into all this stuff because that's a big misnomer. You men, you got, uh, I, I can't go here. We have more to do here. I so want to go here, though, with you guys. Because that authority, husbands are meant to love their wives as Christ loved the church and give himself up for her. People say, oh, Ephesians 5, the Bible's so sexist. I'm like, yeah, Paul was anti-male. I always say that. Because would you rather submit or die? 
Wives submit, men die for your wives. So if Paul's anti anyone, I'm like, man, stop giving guys a hard time. But the reality is, is God created us in a plurality as humanity, male and female. Now, not only that, God also gave mankind the blessings of fruitfulness. He blessed them and told them to multiply. So God gives humanity the blessings of fruitfulness. And then, of course, and look at what happens when we get into verse 29 and 30 of Genesis 1. It says, Then God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. So he gives us the blessing of sustenance. And also in verse 30, he gives the beast the sustenance. Now you notice there that God created mankind and beast to be vegetarian. That's what it says. Now you're like, oh, here's some really weird Bay Area theology. Now, let me explain this, because this is important. When God created everything, death wasn't meant to be part of the system. That's why when we lose somebody that we love, no matter how old or young they are, it's hard for us to deal with. Because when God created humanity, death was not meant to be part of the system. And as we're going to see as we look at Genesis chapter 2, we're going to find that when Adam and Eve ate of that tree, he told them, if you eat, you're going to surely die. And then death became part of the system. And right away, an animal died to cover their shame and nakedness. But in the garden, before that happened, nothing was meant to die. So even the animals were given herbs and fruit to eat. Nothing was meant to die. And I think that's an important lesson. This is why as Christians, we value life. Not only, not only justice for the unborn, but also already living life. Blessed are the peacemakers. Christians should have the highest value on life. Because when God created everything, nothing was meant to perish. God's intention was not death at all, ever. Now, of course, for those of you who are raging carnivores, don't worry, because after the flood in Genesis 9, verse 3, you get the mandate that you could eat as much meat as you want. Okay? So we need to make sure we say that. Some will be freaking out right now, you know, like, I'm going to live on rabbit food the rest of my life? Come on. You're killing me, Pastor Daniel, you know? So... After the flood, it all opens up. But the reality is, is God created everything for life. Death was not part of the system. Not the way God intended it. Now, I love verse 31. because It says, when God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Notice that everything was good, and then God created mankind. He said, this is very good. You have to remember this. God is so pro-humanity. God is really into humanity, and that's why we get John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves humanity. God is pro-humanity. When God created everything, he said it's good. When God created man after his own image and his own likeness, he said, man, this is really, really good. Every person you see, Created in the image and likeness of God, God sees is very good. Now, of course, Genesis 2, and then once we hit Genesis 3, we're going to see the warping of this likeness through sin. And that is true biblical humanity, glorious, the crowning jewel of creation, 
created in God's image and likeness, and then also warped by sin. And we're going to start talking about that as we start seeing Genesis 2 and Genesis chapter 3. So God said it was very good. Now, it's important to remember as we're going through the Bibles that the chapter breaks are not inspired. The Holy Spirit didn't say, okay, end chapter 1, start chapter 2. That was put in way later. And so sometimes the chapter breaks actually, I think, are in a bad spot. And I think absolutely here it's in a bad spot because there's seven days of creation and it cuts us off after the sixth day. So really, if I think if the Holy Spirit were to inspire the chapter breaks, which he didn't, he would end it at the end of the seven days because look what happens in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Then, thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So the seventh day of creation is silence and stillness. There's no activity. There's no noise. There is no speaking. All that God has willed and designed was now in place, and it was time for God to rest. Now, it's important for us to realize this. When God created everything, he wasn't pooped. You know, it's like, you often ask yourself, like, was God just exhausted? It's like, man, these last six days have been nuts. I need to relax a little bit. Woo! I need a Gatorade or something, you think that God says. I need some electrolytes. No, listen. The Sabbath rest is by design. Why? Because this word rest, it's the Hebrew word Shabbat, it's not complete inactivity, but it's the cessation of what has been going on before. So the idea of rest is not we just stop, we sit still, we don't move. If you talk to people who are Orthodox Jewish, they almost have that mindset. I turn on a light, I break the Sabbath. No. The idea is a cessation of what was going on before. And the reason God does this is because humankind, created in the image and likeness of God, God has promised a rest for us. And that rest, of course, is Jesus. That point where in our lives, in all of the work, in all of the striving that we do, there is a rest for us. A place where our souls come to a stopping of trying what's been going on. And we truly find that in Jesus. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. That is why, as Christians, we don't keep a formal Sabbath day. Because we know that Jesus truly is that rest that our spirits long for. But listen, you have to say this in America. God wants you to rest. Listen, we are the only sick country that has workaholics. I mean, how sick is that? A lot of you guys know what this is like. Because we don't trust God. So we work and work and work and work and work. We need a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And we wonder why we have ulcers and our families are falling apart. And we have no relationship with our kids. And that is the curse of the fall. We're going to see this in Genesis chapter 3. When God cursed Adam, it was all about work. He was going to work, work, work by the sweat of his brows. And we live in a culture that we don't know how to stop. And we wonder why things are breaking apart at the seams. God promised That if you take a day and take a break, focus on your relationship with the Lord. Focus on your spouses. Focus on your kids. 
take a nap, take care of yourself, that that's actually good for humanity. And we're going to find once we get through the book of Exodus that God's going to have the same idea of the Sabbath rest for the land, the idea of laying land fallow and letting it rejuvenate itself. Brothers and sisters, listen, some of you are in here and you are just getting sick because you're working like crazy when God's like, look, take a day off. I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. Now, I'm not saying in like a legalistic fashion. I have to say that. But the reality is, is that God doesn't want us to be sick. God wants us to be healthy. And I love it. It says that God blessed and God sanctified that day. God blessed rest. And we live in a culture that doesn't value rest, does it? We go, 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 right? And I always tell guys, don't think your Sabbath day is like building a deck in the backyard. That's not a Sabbath day. A Sabbath day is doing a family devotion time, taking a personal devotion time, going hanging with your kids on their terms. It's such a healthy thing. I remember I was in Europe, and someone's like, man, you Americans are crazy. I mean, who ever heard of a workaholic? I mean, how sick is that? If you really think about it. See, God blessed the Sabbath day. And God rested on that day. And God did that to model it for us. He wants us both to take a break and find our true heart's rest in Jesus. The Sabbath has its fulfillment in Jesus, but it's also a great principle for life. So I want to encourage you, if you're the kind of person you're like, I haven't had a day off in I don't know how long, I want to encourage you to take a day off in the name of Jesus for God's glory. And get your heart reconnected with him, reconnected with your spouse, reconnected with your kids. I want to close with a quote by Walter Brueggemann about this idea of the Sabbath. It's beautiful. Listen to what he says. The Sabbath is a sociological expression of a new humanity willed by God. Sabbath is the end of grasping and therefore the end of exploitation. Sabbath is a day of revolutionary equality in society. On that day, all rest equally, regardless of wealth or power or need. Of course, the world is not now ordered according to the well-being and equality of Sabbath rest. But the keeping of Sabbath in heaven and on earth is a foretaste and anticipation of how the creation will be when God's way is fully established. Sabbath is an unspoken prayer for the coming of a new sanity shaped by the power and graciousness of God. That's gorgeous, isn't it? Jesus is real. Well, Pastor Daniel got into some of the good stuff today. The creation of Eve. All the men said, Amen. (laughs) It's easy to picture Adam as he's naming all of the animals and realizing that they're all male and female, but he doesn't have a corresponding partner. Pastor Daniel taught about God's intent that everything would live forever. You got to learn of the importance that God intended for men and women to have toward each other when they're in a married relationship. Hey, everybody. Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. 
We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share from his next teaching, Gospel Prelude. You might wonder about the title since we're at the beginning of the Bible and Jesus isn't going to appear for a long time. Well, you're going to find out that God put little clues in the Old Testament as to what he was planning to do in the future, that there was going to be the need for mankind to be redeemed. And God already had a solution to this future problem. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Origins. Please, glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.